Sweet cheeks. Go ahead, sweet cheeks. Hey, all you fraidy cats and kittens. Welcome to this week's episode of Deathly Afraid. My name is Brian. And I'm Whitley. And this is episode... 10. 10. We're on... Ep- we made it 10 whole episodes. Yeah. We can finally retire. Not, <laughs> not partial ones, whole ones. They were whole episodes. Ten whole episodes of listening to us. You lucky, lucky ducks. Yeah. I don't even like listening to my health. My health. My health. I don't like listening to my health. I don't like listening to myself. I told Brian today, I think I'm having a stroke. I literally, we were driving home. So there's two roads to get into our subdivision. And I thought I was on one road. I was on the other road and I went into pure panic mode and was like, that's not our street. Where's our house? And Brian's like, we're on this road. And I was like, oh, I literally had no clue where we were. He was lost. I live here. Lost in the sauce. There was no sauce involved. I was driving. There's Arby, there's Arby sauce. Oh yes, there's Arby sauce in the bag, you guys. <laughs> they have the meats. Yeah. <laughs> so how was your week at work? Oh, you were actually gonna ask me this time? Good ma'am. <laughs> I try sometimes. Uh my week, as you know, but others don't know, was pretty sucky because me and Credo got sick. Yeah, I know you guys were a bunch of sickos. I know. So his school called, was it Tuesday morning? And I was already not feeling good, but I just thought, oh, I drank too much coffee because my stomach really hurts. But um, they called me to come pick him up and we both ended up sick for a couple days, but definitely better now. 100% better. Although... I just think I'm suffering from a stroke. It's possible. <sighs> That's not funny. That's sad. Funny. If you guys don't hear this on Sunday, I've had a damn stroke. And I don't know how to edit, so. So you'll never hear this episode. <laughs> <sighs> how was your week, my dear? It was pretty good, actually. Had a couple trainings for work, as you know, and one was really good. The other one wasn't so great and got a lot done this week at work and got a lot organized today with taking over the whole building and stuff so yeah it's been pretty good yeah his uh training days were conveniently on the days that we were sick so (laughs) (laughs) they were planned before you got sick okay right our middle son 
came in one the second morning or second night and was like, Mom, why is dad not coming home till really late? <laughs> and me being the kind, kind mother that I am, said, because he doesn't want to be your dad anymore. <laughs> She broke his heart. I did. He was so sad. He, I was like, I'm just kidding. He goes, Mom, I was so scared. Uh, and that's how you guys know that I am a wonderful mother. All right. So, so yeah. So the stories I'm going to talk about this week really aren't scary or anything. They are... Um, Brian's going first, by the way, guys. We decided to do a local week and... Local to us. Local to us. And so the two I'm going to talk about are actually places that are in like the state's top haunted spots to visit. And there are actually two that I think would be really cool to go visit one day. One is about two and a half hours from us. The other one is eight hours from us. So I don't know how soon we would get to go visit that one because I don't want to drive eight hours. Right, yeah. But the first one is the Shoshone Ice Cave. Have you ever heard of those? I mean, I've obviously heard of Shoshone. Yeah. But I have not heard of the Shoshone Ice Caves. Yeah. So I'll go into... That's the first one I'm going to talk about. And I'll go into the story of like the history and everything on how those came about and why they believe that they are haunted. Okay. So the ice caves were formed by underground eruptions and are part of the Black Butte Crater lava field. A young boy who was looking for his lost goat discovered the Shoshone ice caves by accident in the 1880s. The find was perfect for the area. Cold beer all all year round. Cold beer? Yeah. He found cold beer? No, they're saying you could have cold beer all year round because it stays cold in the caves. (laughs) <laughs> he, found, he found some cold beer it was just there all year round i was like damn this kid's a genius that is amazing how is he not more famous i'm not even angry kind of impressed All right. oh sorry and ice skaters have even used the caves for training for the olympics what yeah so it's like pure just ice not all of it but like there's spots that are ice and from what I was reading, like year round, no matter what the temperature is outside, like they're always like super cold down there. Oh, weird. Yeah. Okay. So it's it's kind of crazy. Cold beer all year long. Yeah. Got it. Cold beer with some ice cube. Go watch people train for the Olympics with some cold beer. <laughs> I'm down. In the 1940s, the caves were nearly ruined. People wanted the ice, so they started collecting it. Several entry points were made and warm air was able to flow in. The ice started to melt and had almost disappeared completely. In the 1950s, a man named Russell Robinson bought the caves. He had a plan to restore the caves back to what they were. His plan succeeded and the ice returned. To be honest, there are much more interesting caves in the world. The Mammoth Cave, for instance, which is haunted. Or what did you think of... The Waitomo Glowworm Caves in Australia. But the Shoshone Ice Caves are a natural wonder as well. The cave is a thousand foot long, almost straight lava tube. Temperatures between 24 and 32 degrees all year. 
turn the air that flows through the tunnel into ice. Visitors of the cave walk on a wooden bridge that's built over the solid ice floor. Take a warm sweater with you when you visit and don't let the ghosts get to you. The Ghosts of the Shoshone Ice Caves The caves are rumored to be haunted. Staff and visitors claim to have heard voices coming from the cave and heavy footsteps have been heard when no one else is around. Is it the ghost of the cave bear that once allegedly lived there? Or is it the ghost of the Indian princess who was buried here centuries ago? Is the cave bear related to cocaine bear? I hope not. (laughs) That would be scarier than a ghost. That would be scarier than a ghost. You will rip your face off. (laughs) So this next one is a little story about that princess. Oh, good. I was going to ask you if you were going to tell me who this princess was. Princess Idaho? Idaho? Idaho. Idaho? Idaho. Princess Idaho? Idaho? I don't know how you say that. Idaho? Idaho. 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 So Princess Idaho. Centuries ago, this area was inhabited by the native Shoshone Indians. One day, their beloved Princess Idaho died. The caves were sacred to the Indians, and they decided to bury her remains in the ice, where she would remain forever. Legend says that Princess Idaho wants to be freed from her icy coffin. She whispers to visitors, hoping they will set her free. People claim to have seen shadow figures behind the walls of ice. Perhaps the princess wasn't the only one buried in the ice. The Shoshone Ice Caves Today When you visit this part of Idaho, make sure to visit the ice caves. But the Twin Falls and the Craters of the Moon Natural Reserve are well worth a visit too. And all near each other, current owners Shane Wallace and Shelley Adamson have really done a great job turning it into more than just the caves. The stories the tour guides tell are very detailed and good. A tour lasts about 30 to 40 minutes. The problem is that it never gets silent enough to actually hear the voices and footsteps. Oh, that's a bummer. And cave bears never existed in the USA, only in Europe. But that doesn't mean this place is full of mystery. What do you mean cave bears didn't exist? Like they didn't go into caves? I don't, I'm not really sure on that one. I mean, we've seen bears in Idaho. We know they're here. Yeah. What? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand it. But. I don't either. So anyway, so looking into this, Shoshone Ice Caves, I was reading a lot of the reviews. There are a lot of good reviews on there. I mean, it's nothing spectacular, but there were some like people that put some bad reviews on there just because they weren't impressed with the tour or whatever. But it's it's one of those that I mean, it's in Idaho, so I would definitely like to make it there. And it's only that's not that well, far. It's only yeah. twelve bucks for the tour to go down there and check out that. I mean, looking at the pictures, I'll post for our listeners to take a look at on Facebook and Instagram or. I mean, it looks pretty cool. It's it's definitely not like the Parchner Caverns we went to in Arizona. Oh, those were amazing. Those, if you guys are ever in Arizona and have some free time, go check out the Karchner Caverns because they are amazing. Those were super, super cool. You can't take pictures inside or anything like that, and they have it really well pre- preserved. But those are definitely cool. Yeah. But this would be fun. That would be fun to take the it boys to. Like I said, it's only... 
it says it's a two and a half hour drive. Right now it says it's closed, which I'm sure because the weather we've been having lately and snow everywhere and stuff. But well, I mean they're ice caves. Yeah. Well, do they care if it's freaking cold outside? Well, <laughs> then then it's of... not so marvelous. Or it's cold outside. It's cold in here. Yeah. Nobody well, cares. What's so special about that. <laughs> Probably because they ran out of cold beer. No, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> I'm not going. Yeah, two and a half hour drive. So it's something we could do. It's a day trip even to go up there. And Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, I almost would want to do a weekend trip, though, because there's a lot that way I really haven't seen. Like the, what was it, the Shoshone Falls or Craters of the Moon, Craters of the Moon, all that stuff. I've heard that's super that. cool. So it'd be kind of nice to take the kids. And it's like talking with Ralph at work the other day. He's like, we were talking about travel and how we're going to Disneyland for Thanksgiving and stuff. And he was saying that there's so much stuff here in Idaho that like he doesn't even want to do as much traveling outside of Idaho. He would rather go see the different places in Idaho that are here to see. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like we do a good amount of stuff here. Just, I mean, we could do more, obviously, but. There's a lot, like, I haven't seen here that I would like to, especially, like, going up north and stuff, more towards Canada and all that. I haven't been. I would love to go to Canada. That That would be cool. Well, it'd be, yeah, like, even if it was just, like, a week trip or whatever, we just took off instead of going to Disneyland or something, go up. All the way through Idaho into Canada. and I'd have to get a passport. <laughs> me too. They won't let me in. <laughs> they might let you in. They might not let you back out. I don't know how that works. No, I don't think they would let you in. They'd be like, you're American. Get the... <laughs> Go away. The heck out of here. Okay. All right. So the next one is called Spirit Lake. And it is... Up in northern Idaho, eight hours away, which is why I probably haven't been there. So, like, okay, major cities, what is it by? Yes. Coeur d'Alene. Coeur d'Alene. Okay. I think. Let me, I gotta look again because I just looked yesterday. I mean, there's that big, it's. So, it's between, <laughs> so Coeur d'Alene, Post Falls, it's kind of between. Rathdrum or Sturgeon and Coleman, Idaho. So, I mean, it's up towards the top of Idaho. So, it's north of Coeur d'Alene or northwest of Coeur d'Alene, I guess. When Lennon did his um, project about, you know, how they had to pick an Indian tribe from Idaho. Yeah. And he did the Coeur d'Alene ones and they were all throughout that area. So, nice. I think this might actually talk about the tribe that. Lenny got to talk about, I believe. Probably. I can't remember the name of the tribe. I'm sorry, guys. So, we'll we'll probably pull it up here. As soon as he says it, I'll say, that's the one. That's the one. Even if it's not the one, that's the (laughs) one. (laughs) So, Idaho's most haunted places don't have the nationwide reputation of our neighbors. But they definitely exist if you know where to look. The stories that surround these hotbeds of paranormal are eerie, passed down through the generations, locally respected, and oftentimes the product of Native American source. But one look at this foggy, densely forested lake, and you'll see exactly why this gem is considered one of the spookiest places in Idaho. On an ordinary day, 
This overlooked lake town, engulfed by the dense forests and waterfront beauty North Idaho has come to be known for, is quiet and self-sufficient. While opportunities to explore the town are year-round, many folks come here for the Empire Trails, a network of biking trails that takes you deep into the trees. But the lake is without a doubt the heart and soul of the community. Since the lake and town share the same name, few people realize that there is an eerie story behind these deep, dark waters, a haunting local tale that has been passed down for generations. In fact, Spirit Lake is reputed to be one of only two lakes in the world with a sealed bottom, making it a perfect location to hold the earthly trapped souls and phantom spirits that are said to haunt its beautiful depths. Legend has it that the lake was once called Clearwater, but a tragic story experienced by the Kootenai, in- Kootenai. Kootenai, Kootenai. Indians Kootenai. who once I lived. Think that was then. Was it? I think Kootenai. so. We'll have to ask Lennon, you guys. He'll know. So, a tragic story experienced by the Kootenai Indians who once lived by the lake to take its name change, Gethsemane, or Lake of the Spirits. The legend, a chief of the Kootenai tribe had a gorgeous daughter, Ayapam, Ayapam? which meant fearless running water, who loved a young Kootenai warrior, past Amhum, which meant shining eagle. Unfortunately, Hyapam was promised to a rival tribe's chieftain as a peace marriage, which Hyapam's father has consented to to avert war. The two young lovers vowed their eternal love nevertheless. Binding themselves together with the marriage chain of rushes, they leapt into the lake. The two lovers were never found, and local folklore tells that on moonlight nights, when the wind is still, you can see their ghostly silhouettes as they drift slowly across the lake in a phantom canoe. So, like, they just ran away? Into the lake. But if they were in a canoe, they probably got away, unless somebody sunk their canoe. Probably sunk their battleship. (laughs) It's a hit. <laughs> it's a direct hit. <laughs> so every spring, low, mournful, and haunting sounds can be heard drifting through the foggy mist that hovers above the water. Many claim the voices are actually the cries of the two Native American lovers as they seek freedom from the Lake of the Spirits. But it never comes. Are their stories true? Have you ever experienced anything unusual or unexplained at Spirit Lake? I have not. Me neither. Because I've never been there. Me neither. But the <laughs> pictures are really beautiful. Like, this lake looks amazing. Well, all of, all of North Idaho, I feel, is so beautiful. Like, all the pictures you see, like Coeur d'Alene, all that. Yeah. It all looks so beautiful. And, like, we've just never been up that way. So, I don't know if you know what, like, it was saying it's, like, sealed on the bottom. Like, there's no... Yeah, I didn't know what that meant. I was just like, yeah, okay. <laughs> So I think being sealed, there's a bunch of seals down there. It doesn't get water from any other bodies of water. So it's just like a stagnant, stagnant water. But it like, I mean, it gets the it gets the runoff from like the mountains from the snow and stuff like that. But there's no streams coming in or rivers coming in or going out. It's just there. 
That's weird. Yeah. You'd think it'd get really nasty and not be pretty. I don't know. Like a lake wool. That is super stagnant and it runs everywhere. Right. Gives you the runs. It will. Yeah, here's pictures. Well, there's moose. Yeah, there's mooses up there. Not mooses. Not mooses. Just mooses. Yeah, I mean, like all these pictures are just. Oh, it does look pretty. Pretty nice up there. And there's trash cans. (laughs) That's a nice trash can. With some trash pandas. Yeah, look at that. that's pretty. But you know what? If I was in a there's Canada the... gooses. Ooh, that's really pretty. Yeah. So I will post some of these pictures of the lake and so the ice caves. You can actually take your phone down and take pictures, and people have taken really good pictures of those ice caves. And so they're, they're pretty. So neat. when I picture the ice caves in my head, there's just icicles everywhere. It kind of is, really. Is there? Okay. Because that's what I, when you hear like ice caves, I was like, yeah, there's definitely just icicles everywhere. Here's some pictures people took on like the catwalks and stuff that you walk through and it's all ice below. But yeah, so it's it's pretty neat looking. I mean, it's interesting to see how these caves get formed anyway. Yeah. I'd rather go to the lake, but I'll go to the cave. You get cold beer at the cave. Ooh, that's right. I forgot about the cold beer. Cold beer and figure skaters. All year, cold beer. (laughs) Cold beer all year? Yeah. All right. Well, you did great, son. Thank you. Um, So my story this week is also a local Idaho story. Um, This is about Paul Ezra Rhodes. He was born on January 18th of 1957 in Idaho Falls, Idaho. He was the oldest of four children born to Augustus and Teresa Rhodes. Rhodes was diagnosed with polio from a or from the age of four, and he was constantly hosp- hospitalized due to it. Uh, his parents constantly argued, and this literally blew my mind. Rhodes began drinking by the age of 10. Is his name Lennon? Not <laughs> drink. That was wild to me, though. Like, how I get kids can be sneaky or whatever. Yeah. But I would notice if the kids were walking around drinking. Right. Like, that's crazy to me that his, like, I don't know if, like, his parents just didn't care. It sounds like they had kind of a bad home life anyway i don't know if i would say bad but parents constantly arguing and stuff probably not fun yeah um that was just wild to me so he actually dropped out of high school and began using drugs and eventually became addicted to methamphetamines which is horrible like yeah it's a it's a drug guys (laughs) it is a drug to know, like, just to be around someone who is addicted to methamphetamines, like, it's wild what it does to you. Yeah. So, I couldn't even imagine, I mean, I could imagine being around him. Especially, like, how young he is, too. Yeah. Well, I mean, he got addicted, it sounded like when I was reading, like, out of high school, but he dropped out. So, he's probably still pretty young. Yeah, you know? 17, 18. Right. So, um... 
He took on various odd jobs to help provide for his family, and he specialized in sheetrocking. But he would also just break into various homes and steal any valuables he could find just to get extra money, get drugs, you know, the Mm -hmm. huge. On February 28th, 1987, 21-year-old Stacy Baldwin was abducted around midnight from the Red Binny Binny Barn? The Red Mini Barn Convenience Store in Blackfoot, Idaho, when she worked where she worked the midnight shift. She was a duck. A, she was a duck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> quack quack. <laughs> End of story. He was still in ducks. <laughs> Good heavens. She was abducted by gunpoint and taken to a remote area where he intended to sexually assault her. She fought back as. Um, she tried to scramble away. He shot her twice and left her in the snow today. So um, her body was found at 9.30 a.m. the next morning, about five miles northwest of Blackfoot, off of a rural road. We used to live off rural road. Rural road. In Arizona. We did. But not the same road. This was a rural road. That was not the name of the road. <laughs> <laughs> On March 16th, 20-year-old Nolan Haddon was shot five times at Buck's Gas and Grocery on Sunnydale Road in Blackfoot. Investigators suspect Paul mistook him for a woman due to his long blonde hair. After realizing, Paul robbed the convenience store and shot Haddon. He was found the next morning in the walk-in freezer close to death. He was taken to Eastern Idaho Regional Medical Center where he died hours later. Dang. Yeah. And like these dates are just like boom, boom, boom. Like he just went on a spree. So then Thursday, March 19th, so just a couple days later, um, Susan Michael Bratcher, is that how you say that? I was going between Bracker? Michelle Bratcher and Michael Bratcher. Michael Bracker? Michael Brocker? Or Michael Bracker? <laughs> Michael Bracker? Michael Bracker. That's a C H E R. Michael Bratcher. Michael, Michael Bracker. I said nipple for a second. I said nipple grabber. Susan M. Susan, I'm saying Michael Bratcher. Michelle. Okay. Thursday, March 19th. Susan Michael Bratcher. That's what I'm going with. Uh, 34 was a special education teacher at Eagle Rock Junior High. She was not feeling well and called in sick to work, but had gone in to drop off her lesson plans around 7 a.m., on her way home, she stopped at a supermarket to buy cocoa. Um, police believe Rhodes had been stocking out the parking lot since early that morning. As she was getting into her van, he pushed his way into the vehicle with a gun. Um, so Rhodes abducted Susan and forced her to withdraw money from her checking account. They then drove to a rural location where Rhodes raped and shot her nine times. Two days later, after a citywide search, Susan's body was found in a desolate sagebrush and lava field around seven miles west of Idaho Falls. All three of the murders were linked through ballistics. The same 38 caliber Smith & Wesson was used in all three murders. Um, so at this time, you know, Rhodes is on the run, but it did not take police long to hunt him down. About 20 miles outside of Wells, Nevada, Rhodes had run his car off the road and got stuck in some loose dirt. He took off on foot, but left the gun by the driver's door 
and a box of bullets that were the same used in all three murders were found in the car. The car actually belonged to his mother, and she had reported the vehicle stolen. Um, Nevada Highway Patrol found the car and made the call to Idaho Falls Police that led them to Rhodes. Not Rohads. 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 Rohades. <laughs> She's Spanish. Was, he looked like it. I don't know. I didn't look it up. Oh, ridiculous. <laughs> the way you're saying it. It's not. Anything can sound Spanish if you say it like that. <laughs> On March 25th of 1987, about 9.30 p.m., Rhodes was arrested at a casino table in the four-way Texaco in Wells, Nevada. The Idaho Falls community was relieved. For a month, they lived in fear. Gun sales had actually skyrocketed in the short time. Women were afraid to go out alone, and everyone began locking their doors. I mean, this is back in the 80s when it really, like, I remember growing up, we hardly ever locked our dang doors, you know? On your cars or your house. We'd sleep with windows open. and Yeah, and so that's back in this time, and they're, you know, they're all terrified, which I would be too. Right. You know? Between the discovery of Susan's body and Rhodes' arrest, there were other women who came forward claiming that they had found Rhodes in their vehicles, and when they would yell, he would take off. So, um, police believed that he had even shot at a woman standing on a street corner. Just like, that was all I found on that. Just some random lady. He shot at me! (laughs) So, he was also being investigated for the rape of a Rick's college student, but nothing came from that. Um, Paul admitted to the murders, the three murders that we talked about, But him and his lawyer then appealed his case and Idaho's new execution protocols and procedures. So on January 18th of 1988 was... Wow, I was having a stroke typing this too, apparently. (laughs) You guys should see what I've been writing. It's just numbers. I don't know how she reads this. (laughs) Typed in Morse code. Um, January 18th, January. January. <laughs> she said that was her pinky out. When in doubt, pinky out. <laughs> SpongeBob fancy pants over here. Okay, I can do this. <sighs> On January 18th of 1988, Rhodes' first trial began after his insanity defense was rejected by the Idaho Supreme Court. On January 26th of 1988, Paul Ezra Rhodes was found guilty in the 7th Judicial Court for Bonneville County of the crimes of first-degree murder and first-degree kidnapping. On March 3rd of 1988, the trial for the murder of Baldwin was held. Paul's attorney claimed that the prosecution's evidence was circumstantial and was flimsy. Rhodes claimed to have been babysitting his sister's kids at the time of the murders. The prosecution claimed that a watch found in Paul's possession was stolen from Baldwin. The defense claimed that it was a Christmas gift bought by Rhodes' mother. The prosecution did admit that the evidence was mostly circumstantial. They pointed out that it overwhelmingly pointed to Rhodes as the killer, especially the distinct shoe print that was found in the snow 
by Baldwin was an identical match to Rhodes's large foot, as well as the bullets from the handgun matching the one they found by his car. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, that, to me, that doesn't seem circumstantial, that part. No. I mean, they're the babysitting, and they're claiming he's babysitting, and then the watch, they're claiming his mom bought him, and it's not Baldwin's or whatever, but the gun seems pretty, you know, hard evidence. Right? <laughs> so, on March 12th of 1988, Rhodes was again found guilty of the crimes of first-degree murder and first-degree kidnapping. And then on March 24th, Rhodes was, excuse me, I burped, you guys. That was cute. <laughs> <laughs> on March 24th, I can't say 24th. Don't worry, it's just our podcast. It's our podcast. <laughs> on March 24th, Rhodes was sentenced to death for the murder of Susan and life in prison for the remaining charges. After the sentence was read, Rhodes grabbed a chair he was sitting in and threw it at the prosecutor before it was caught by the sh- by Sheriff Rodriguez before anyone could be hurt. Which is pretty freaking impressive that the sheriff right? caught the chair. Well, like, I, if you were to take this that. chair up and throw it at someone across the room, there's no way in hell I'm going to try to catch it. Right, I'm just going to move out of the Sorry. I'd be like, you're off your own, buddy. Duck. Like, that's impressive, I thought. I was like, dang. Whatever hair may not have said the F word in there. Dang it, Brian. <laughs> it's hard to edit your F words out. Sorry. <laughs> um, and I forgot where I was. Okay, caught by the sheriff. Circus, Afro Circus. Okay. Yep. It's official. I'm having a stroke. Okay, April 25th was his final trial for the murder of Haddon. Lawyers filed a motion to have Justice Larry Boyle be disqualified from presiding over the trial because he was the one that had sentenced Rhodes to death for Susan's case. The motion was denied and the case proceeded. Rhodes pled guilty to all charges but retained his rights to appeal his convictions. As a result, he was sentenced to two life sentences but still claimed his innocence of the murder of Haddon. So he's like, I'm going to claim, or I'm going to plead guilty so I can just get this over with. But I'm still telling you that I'm innocent. I didn't do it. That's weird. Yeah. Um, during the sentencing for Bald- the Baldwin murder, his attorney filed for a retrial and it was ultimately denied. Rhodes was sentenced to death as well as a life term plus 45 years for other charges related to the Baldwin murders. Murders? Murder. Murder. Mm-hmm. So, and then October 11th, 2011, so we're skipping forward a bunch of years. Bunch of years. Bunch of years. The U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear Rhodes's case again. On October 19th, 2011, the IDOC served Rhodes with a death warrant ordered by the 7th District Judge John J. Schindering, Schindling, Schindling. Really? Yep. John J. Schindling. The warrant was ordered that Rhodes be es- executed on November 18th, 2011. On November 4th, 2011, the Idaho Commission of Pardon and Parole decided to deny the petition for a commutation hearing submitted on behalf of Rhodes. 
November 14th, 2011, the U.S. magistrate judge denied a stay of execution. November 16th, 2011, the Ninth U.S. Circus Court of Appeals. Circus Court? Circuit Court. <laughs> said Circus Court. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I was on a roll, Brian. Thanks a lot. You were on a circus roll. Apparently. On November 16th of 2011, the 9th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals denied a request for a full judge's panel to review their appeal. Rose's attorney also filed a last-ditch appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. was denied. November 18th, 2011. Paul Ezra Rhodes was executed via lethal injection. The execution was the target of protest by capital punishment activists outside the prison south of Boise. About 50 people braved the cold and wind to protest at the prison's entrance. Some sat on the ground in silence while others prayed collectively and waved signs with messages like, What would Jesus do? Across the street, about a half a dozen people gathered in a fenced area in support of the death penalty. This was Idaho's first execution in 17 years. Dang. Yeah. The execution was witnessed by the uh, members of the victim's families, Paul's mother, and four members of the Idaho media. Um, Paul gave his final statement while laying on his back strapped to the table. Witnesses said he seemed antsy, which, same. If your house is about to get right. put to death, I would be very antsy. Um, occasionally tapping his hand on the tapping his hand on the table. I don't know what's happening, but I can't talk. <laughs> so these are the final words that he said. To Bert Michael Bratcher, I am sorry for the part I played in your wife's death. For Haddon and Baldwin, I can't help you. You have to still keep looking. I'm sorry for your family. I can't help you. I took part in the Michael Bratcher murder. I can't help you guys. I'm sorry. He then turned, told his mom goodbye, and he turned to the executioner and said, I forgive you. I really do. After his final statement, Baldwin's brother quietly said he lied the whole way through, and Julie Haddon, Nolan's mother, said, what a coward. It took 22 minutes from the initial injection to the declaration of death. Brian Edgerton, who was a longtime family friend of the Michael Bratchers, after the execution, said he felt a sense of relief as well as continued grief over Susan's murder. Tom Moss was the lead prosecutor in Bingham County at the time of the murders. When asked if he believed in the death penalty, he said that the facts in a case determine whether a prosecutor seeks the death penalty, and in this case, it was warranted. And then this is a quote from him. Nothing brings total justice. It doesn't bring their loved ones back. And then I've seen what his final meal was, so I thought I'd include that because it sounded gross. Just joking. I like hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> so his first meal was hot dogs. Final meal. His first meal before death. His final meal was hot dogs, sauerkraut, mustard, ketchup, onions, relish. So I'm assuming, you know, in a bun, all that, which not my cup of tea. But I like hot dogs with ketchup and mustard. So baked beans, veggie sticks, ranch dressing, fruit with gelatin, and strawberry ice cream cups. 
Then this meal was also fed to the entire Idaho maximum security inmates. So he didn't really get to pick his last meal. That's such for him. They're like, here's a hot dog. Everybody's getting a hot dog. Um, Paul was the prime suspect in at least four other murders in Utah and Wyoming, dating back to 1984. However, he was never conclusively linked to those murders. So I just found this on a website. It was, nothing else came up with this, but I thought it was kind of funny. Not funny, but it's just a couple other aliases that he used throughout his life. Were Sam Johnson, Rick Edwards, and John French. He was like the first execution in like over 17 years in Idaho. And then another thing that I had read said that like the execution before his, like they basically were like, yep, I'm ready to take me. And he, like his was like a pill after a pill after a pill. Like he was like, no, I don't. I'm not guilty. I didn't do it. Whatever. Yeah. But the one that he was sentenced to the life, or to the death sentence, the life sentence, the one he was sentenced for the death sentence was Susan, who was the only one he was taking accountability for. So I don't know why he kept appealing it either. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, Baldwin, he also got the death penalty for, but either Well, way. at the same time, we figure all this stuff went down in 87, 88. It took till 2011 to actually to actually it. execute him. And I think, like, it has to do with, um, like, if they have appeals or to, like, if they're saying, I'm really not guilty of this, kind of get their stuff together. Like, give them a chance to prove it, I feel like. 20-something years? I know it's a long time, but there's people on death row that never actually get put to death either. Yeah. So, I mean, I know that there's reasons behind why it takes so long. I don't know the actual reasons. Maybe that would be an episode one time, like, death row inmates. Good and... luck knowing that stuff. Well, I'm sure there's rules, like, set rules. Yeah. I don't know, like, just working out at the prison that I worked at out there, it wasn't the max security one, but it's like, I don't know, the... People who are in there that have life sentences are, like, the best. Some of them were, like, the best ones you'll ever talk to out at the prison. Like, it seems weird. Like, easiest to deal with. Not, yeah, like, best like, people. Not best people, but, like, yeah, the easiest to deal with because they're just like, yeah, I'm here forever. Yeah. Which you would think would kind of be the opposite because they're like, I'm here forever. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm never getting out. Right. Or people who aren't there forever, like, I have a chance to get out early. Maybe I should be on my best behavior. You know what I mean? I think it's crazy. Well, it's sad because, like, a lot of the time they would have, like, bets when people were getting out and be like, oh, how how long do you think until they're back in again? Oh, sad. Just because, I mean, they have it pretty well in there for what it is. I mean, they get three meals a day they get tv movies they get to go outside and do activities they have classes they can take there they have roof over their head they have all the stuff that it's just hard for them i think a lot of it's just hard for them to get back once they've been in there for so long readjust to the outside world and so they i don't know if you've seen the one recently where the guy 
got out in like Canning County or something, and then like the same day he got out, he stole a car and went on a high speed chase and wrecked the car and ended up getting arrested again. And it's just well, some people enjoy being in there because they have it better than they have it in the real real world. Real world, real world. Well, and like I've heard that where like especially people who might be homeless or yeah. whatever, they would rather, you know, do some little petty crime and go back to jail than because, you know, people won't hire, you know, convicts. People won't hire people, you know, that have been to jail or yeah. it's just, I mean, it's hard for them, but I mean, they obviously did the crime. They got to do the time. I get that, you know, but I think that's why a lot of people just instantly go back. Because they're yeah. like, there's nothing for me out here. Yeah. Which, I mean, there are people that make it after being in jail. Yeah. And get their lives together, which is awesome. Which we, yeah, it's we've fantastic. seen. Yeah, we've seen people that have come out of jail and just really turned their lives around and made some of themselves. And it's amazing to see. Yeah. So. Yeah, so, I, I mean, well, the the prison that I worked at, they had like a program in one of the units there that they take dogs from the shelter and they have so many trainers and the dogs like actually live in the cells with the inmates and they train them like basic stuff like sit, stay, fetch, like all this stuff. And then after, I don't know, I don't remember how many months it was, like they hold like an adoption event and like families that are looking to adopt dogs actually go out to the prison and the the, in, the inmates like have these dogs perform for the people to see like how well they're trained and they adopt the dogs out of this program and for me I feel like that's I'm assuming the inmates had some pretty tame crimes or was it just like any really. inmate yeah. can do it well, I think there are certain stipulations, I would assume. I don't know too much on how they I'm selected them. I'm just thinking where families are coming and they're like, check out this dog. Yeah. Like, you want to pet my puppy? <laughs> I don't so know. Because I, I, I know that there were sex offenders there. That's the only reason I say that. There I'm were like, not any of those in that unit. These were Okay, all... so it's a whole separate unit from the sex offenders. Yes. Unit. Okay. But I was just like thinking families bringing their kids and stuff. I was like, so there that was, seems a little sketchy. There was one guy that, like, during our training that I had talked to and just, I mean, mainly because, like, in his cell, he had, like, a lot of pictures of animals that he had, like, Trained. harvested. No, like, hunting. Like, oh, animals that okay. he had harvested and waterfowl and stuff like that. And... So he was kind of telling me his story on how he got into prison and he was actually in the process of appealing everything and kind of curious how everything went because he said that he was outside of a bar and these guys like started to attack him or whatever and he shot them in self-defense and so he got thrown in prison Oh my god! and was like appealing everything because it was self-defense he shot these guys but it was taking so long and i don't remember his name or and i wish i did because i'm curious like 
how what came of that like if right he was actually acquitted of all of it or whatnot yeah so do you know like the full story like as far as like were they also shooting at him or did he just whip a gun I th- out and start like shooting? i think they just like came up and started attacking him and he just had it on him yeah and still carrying and was and maybe that's why he went and... to prison you know what i mean that's that might be why yeah where they weren't unarmed I don't know. I mean, I don't know rules, but that just seems like that might be the case. Did he kill all of them or just I don't don't know. That's crazy. Yeah, so he was one of the, actually one of the dog handlers. And so that's like when we have to let them out or whatever is when I had time and actually talked to him. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cool story, bro. (laughs) (laughs) I am so tired. I know. Um... All right. Well, I think that's it for today. Yeah, and if any of you guys, uh, our listeners, have been to the Shoshone Ice Caves or Spirit Lake and either had any like ghost experiences or just want to let us know what your thoughts are on those places, just feel free to either message us on Facebook or Instagram and let us know what your thoughts are. Yeah. Follow us on Instagram at Deathly Afraid Podcast. Facebook group, Deathly Afraid Podcast. Um, email us at deathlyafraidpod at gmail.com. Um, send us your stories. Yeah, we have yet to get a listener story. And I am super sad. Brian's so dumb. Send us your stories. <laughs> Uh, yeah so definitely we would like to hear some of your guys's input even if you're emailing just you know suggestions or whatever we love it so um yeah sounds good yeah anyway thanks guys and we will see you next time bye y'all